Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore. I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes. And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day, which is coming out in paperback November 16th. And you can check out my Audible on Amazon. It's called The African-American Athletes Who Made History. Um, That's it. That's all I got for now. That's all I forgot. I was about to say I'm working on this black quarterback book. But am I if I haven't if I can't start writing because I'm too busy with school? (laughs) I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness, Institute of Black World and Political Activism in the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jay Gaither, Florida A&M and the history of black college football. I am also co-editor of the Races Sports Series at the University Press of Kentucky, in which uh, Lewis Moore's new book, uh, We Will Win the Day, coming out on paperback, is coming out under our the first book in our series. So we're super excited. Uh, Lou, I don't know if you've heard this. I'm going to break news here live right oh, here. Oh, on the, oh, uh, ready. Uh, uh, the, the book is in the warehouse. What's that? What does that mean? What's that? Am I going to get that a physical mean, copy? That means the physical copies have uh, are are printed and are in boxes at the warehouse. Uh, Let's go! And and, and th- I'm going to spoil it for you, but you can uh, expect them to show up in the next week or so. Oh man, days. I'm hyped! Yeah, man, I'm hyped. Is it coming with some Kentucky bourbon too, or is it like that? We're I not, mean, I can send you some Kentucky bourbon as a celebratory. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm I can hyped. I can send no. you I can send you some because it's you know yeah. it's a celebration. Yeah, so let me just warn. Yeah, I appreciate. It. Let me just warn listeners that now that I, I will be parking lot selling books for the next five years <laughs> on Twitter and not doing another new thing because this counts. No, um, I'm I'm super excited. I've approached a lot of people uh, about getting the paperback rights. I, you know, I guess the best thing I could tell uh, listeners, if you're looking to, to publish a book, it, it always read the fine print. Uh, you know, I got a great opportunity to write this book in 2014. And, and, and I thought, man, this is great. It's going to come out. It's going to blow up. And then little that I know these publishers don't really put stuff out on paperback. So it just kind of sat pretty expensive, right? It was cheap for a, a hardcover, like academic hardcover, but it wasn't right in the sense that the way I, I thought it should be marketed and, and, you know, Kentucky came through. Um, I won't name the, I won't name the schools that are the, the publishers that said no, but you know, I, I have that, you know, I had that chip on my shoulder, like a, like a, like a, a draft pick that didn't get drafted, you know, uh, I got that you, chip you, on my shoulder. I'm you like, like Randy yeah. Moss, you were sitting there, like counting all the wide receivers yes. and went ahead of That's it. That's <laughs> it. Everybody <laughs> I approached, like, ah. So, no, but, uh, the, you know, I'm super excited. It's got a really good cover. Uh, just, don't, you know, it's got a new forward to it that we actually wrote last year. Um, so I'm excited. And, and like I said, I am working on that black quarterback book. I, I think I got like 90% of the research done. It's just, uh, you know, I got some projects in line. And then once that's up, you know, uh, I'll be starting that black quarterback book. So my goal is to finish that book within the next year, you know, by December 20. Oh my gosh. What date are we? 2022. Right. Cause I got a sabbatical hopefully next year. So people I've been researching and writing. Uh, I am ready. So if any listeners out there want to be an agent or throw some money my way out of publisher, let me know. I am a free agent. He's a free Sorry agent. That's all right. He's looking at you yeah. out here hustling. I like yeah, it. I like hustle. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's been a, it's been, uh, it's been a week, a week and a half since we last recorded. And uh, in, in the intervening weeks, uh, coaches at the NFL, white coaches have gone crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were going to come on last week and we, you know, we both got like crazy last minute busy to talk about urban Meyer. I don't want to spend too much time on urban, but I do want to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, that what should be a small thing, um, you know, like, yes, uh, something between him and his wife and his family has turned into something bigger because he's got this long legacy of um, uh, kind of authoritarian behavior that these college coaches have kind of displayed and also um, supporting bad behavior in his organization. So, right. Uh, you know, we all know the story at, at the university of Florida, while Tim Tebow was the saint, 
that roster was full of sinners. Um, and uh, Urban Meyer didn't care as long as they won games. Uh, and then at uh, at Ohio State, he you know he covered for one of his assistant coaches who was abuse you know abusing his wife. Um, and and then most recently, even before he got the job at, at as soon as he got the job at Jacksonville, he tried to hire Chris Doyle, who went through a whole uh, who was mm-hmm. fired basically at Iowa for uh, you know uh, racial discrimination against the football players. Uh, he gave Tim Tebow a fantasy tryout, uh, like it was fantasy. You know, do you remember those old fantasy camps? Like you could go, yeah, to, like, those old baseball camps. The NBA's did that too, but I know the Yankees did it and stuff like that. But yeah, 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 you, you can play you with some maybe thousand dollars. You get to go hang out yeah. and get a uniform and everything for a couple I, of days. I can't wait to play with Dominique one day. Like this is this is happening one day. That's the happening fantasy fantasy or, or Eric camp. Davis or Eric Davis. I'll, I'll play baseball, with Eric Davis, if I can have to. So they gave Tim Tebow one of those as he uh, uh, was, uh, you know, trying to break in a new position. Uh, and then, of course, for those who didn't see on uh, on the twitters or on your sports screen last week, Urban Meyer uh, was at his home bar, home restaurant in Columbus. Um, in which a young, I don't know if she was, uh, she was definitely a young woman in her early 20s. I don't know if she was actually a student uh, at Ohio State, but she was definitely grinding up on Urban Meyer. And this was filmed and released on to the internet and created a little kerfuffle for <laughs> a handful of days. Uh, and that was, the, that was the story. We were like, oh, we got to get into that. We could get a chance to talk about uh, uh, this. Uh what were your initial thoughts about this when this Urban Urban Buyer story broke? Well, initially, I I was ready to tweet, and I don't think I did, but um, you know, a black coach couldn't get away with this, right? And and this is why, and then and this is why a lot of people should be upset. I know it's not on the surface; it's like okay, it doesn't have anything to do with race, but the way we look at it, the lack of black coaches right, throughout mm-hmm. the history of the National Football League. And part of that is that you have two faces of your franchise, right? You have your quarterback and you have your coach, right? Mm-hmm. And for, I think for so long, you know, white owners, and these are majority white owners, except what happens to be with Jack, Jacksonville. Jacksonville, right. right but, yeah. but white owners are worried about the face of the franchise, right? It is why the Panthers owner told, you know, uh, Cam Newton not to get tattoos, right? It's, it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? And, and so – part of not only is it can this black guy lead but can he be the face of my franchise and so many black i think black head coaches haven't got that opportunity because they don't fit whatever profile we think of of a coach is right and mm-hmm. and that and that profile right now is is going to be this you know to step away from Urban Meyer it's going to be just like that young uh I was going to say San Diego Chargers but LA Chargers coach right it is him it is McVay it's these kind of young guys mm-hmm. who are seen as genius analytics and it's not the Dan Campbells by the way which is an awful hire I I got to <laughs> say that because I got to watch the Lions every Sunday at 1 right it's going to be those guys yeah and we're not going to see any black people in that right i mean look at how successful wildly successful Eric Bieniemy and Meyer Lesch has been Right. It's going to take some time. So we're not going to see him as a genius. But again, part of having a coach and and I think the comfort of someone like Urban Meyer is that his whiteness says something about him. Right. It, Mm -hmm. it, it, It is trustworthy. It stands for leadership. Right. And I think it's part of I think you can't separate the idea of Urban Meyer being this great leader, being this trustworthy person. Right from his white skin and it's allowed him to escape a lot of stuff like at Florida. I don't a think a black scrutiny. coach, I don't think black coach survives that at Ohio no. state, as you mentioned. And this weekend, a black coach does not survive being drunk and bumping and grinding at a bar when they haven't won a game yet. It's, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't yeah. At no. all. Right. I mean, and that, that's, and I, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, that's it. it. I was going to say, I feel sorry for guys like Raheem Morris who won 10 games. <laughs> Can't get another job. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I had a bad season like the next year and has never got another shot. I think now he's worked his way up to like, what is he? D coordinator of the Rams. Yeah. Right? I think he's D coordinator. Yeah. 
never really got a true shot. Last year, he was the interim coach at Falcons. He did fine, right? I mean, they were in a lot of games. They were they're they're better than seemed better than they were than they are this year. I mean, and that's another conversation. Falcons should be rebuilding. They shouldn't be with Matt Ryan. But anyway, that's another conversation. But you know, to talk Urban Meyer, that's what I thought. That was my initial thoughts, right? And then. And then the Twitter handle, what is it? Resist programming. And I don't know who this is, but I've, I've been with this person since they had like 10 followers. You know what I mean? Like I was probably like, I was probably like follow number one. And, and somehow, you know, the person has the time and they have the know-how to dig up literally everything ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this person, they start producing stuff about Urban Myers and Larry Elder, right? And mm. and you know, listeners obviously should know Larry Elder. He's I would say he's a conservative black black man, right? Been conservative black black man leader uh, for what about 30, 40 years, right? My most of my life, right? Um, and, and and he was the he was the uh, Republican front runner in the in the recall of got, uh, yeah. Gavin Newsom in the California. He got trounced, right? He got trounced, yeah. But I mean, and let's be clear. Like, and no, the weirdest thing about that, I know we don't talk politics on the show, but let's do this. Then he never had a chance. Look, black people don't win <laughs> win governorships. Like, it's just yeah. one of those things. There's what is there like a handful ever? Maybe like. Three, like, and we're not talking about like uh, what's his name, PBS Pinchback or whatever. Uh, um, you're talking about Doug Wilder, uh, at uh Virginia. Virginia, uh, Massachusetts guy, yeah, Devin, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Patrick or whatever, or is Devin, it, yeah, just, yeah, 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 no, that's right, yeah. So, like, even if he was popular, that's like, dude, you're not gonna win that, but anyway, Urban brought him out and Urban brought him to Ohio State for a very specific reason, and it was to talk to black players and not to get them to focus on really what the the racism in America, but this idea of individual opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what that's Larry Elder's thing, right? Racism doesn't exist, and that to me, and we'll smooth into John Gruden eventually, but to me, that speaks volumes. Right. Because someone like Urban has been around young black kids his whole life. Right. And they've made his career and they've made him millions and millions of dollars. And the way he thinks about them is to see them as I would guess complainers, as to see them as people who who aren't really fit for citizenship, for 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 lack of better term, right? Mm-hmm. That need this kind of talking to about individual uprisings, this kind of Booker T. Washington model of life. And to me, that's like disturbing, right? And 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 what we're finding out is I guess a my guess is a lot of football coaches think that way. Like oh, it's very paternalistic. Oh about a lot of white coaches paternalistic about these young black athletes um, yeah so and, I'll stop there, yeah. no no i think it's that's important also look we should shout out a friend of the pod uh hassan jeffries um who is a professor social professor of history uh at uh at the ohio state university who is one of the four male scholars about race and racism talking about the ways of t- he he literally is running uh, uh the lead on a grant called teaching hard history right uh, and yeah, so, buddy. you you know, so like Urban didn't have to dial out. He didn't have to bring in Larry Elder from uh, from from California to speak to his players when Hassan was uh, on Sounds campus, right there. Right. And so that is a decision making. And this is the kind of decision making that a lot of campuses are choosing to do because they must they would much rather, um, you know, I think this gets us, you know, the, the college side of Urban gets us into the problems that we saw with Dabo. Sweeney at Clemson and some of the things that he said, right? We talk about um, uh, uh, Gundy at Oklahoma State who was wearing the OAN shirt and uh, and that was on purpose, right? Because in some right. ways, if, you know, look, I got a whole closet full of, of Dartmouth athletic gear because I worked in the athletic department, you know, and, and every coach in that building has boxes and boxes of T-shirts, sweatshirts, athletic gear hoodies sweatpants shoes so for you to not pull one of those things out <laughs> when you're the head football coach it's right, intentional right. right like it's intentional you're right you're right you're right yeah. <laughs> um, i even know i sometimes i even get broken off with some grand valley stuff right when i'm in like the academic counselor's office right it's not like hey thanks for keeping my players eligible i'm just kidding everybody they have earned their grade but yeah i i got i got like 
Grand Valley swag, right? So I, you know it's there. So it's so so I think that like you know these coaches have always implemented you know they they have this uh, conservative bend at the collegiate level, and I think that what's interesting for Urban the challenge that he's faced and is and is failing right right now just on the, on the front is he's bringing that kind of authoritarian collegiate I can control and shape these young men into the professional realm, and the professional dudes is they don't care they care about winning. They care about you doing your job, preparing them to be the best so that they can put, you know, because they can pay, you know, earn a living and put food on the, uh, and, you know, put food on the table at the bare at the bare minimum. And so the fact that he didn't fly back with the team, the fact that he wasn't in uh, uh, in the office the very next day after a loss and, and trying to come up with a game plan that's going to put their team in the best position, he's already lost that room. They don't think he's serious. And so when he came in there and apologized to the different position groups and they were laughing at him and he walked out the door, I thought that was the most hilarious piece of information right. that come out of that, uh, out of that whole experience. And I called that too, by the way, I like the listeners know on Twitter that these guys are going to laugh him out of the room. Right. And especially the way he, he, we even saw him apologize with his head down, like this very cowardly thing. Right. Just oh, Eddie, Eddie tried to throw, Eddie tried to throw the, oh, the franchise quarterback. The, the franchise quarterback. I told Trevor when he went to his bachelor party, Trevor ain't, this ain't Trevor's problem. This is your problem. Trevor's, problem. Trevor's yeah. young and, and Trevor knows, Trevor's been on college campus. He knows what life is like, but yeah, Urban just seemed he just seemed weak, right? Like just yeah. having your head down, and you know, luckily he didn't drag his wife out, you know, in front of them. You know, <laughs> that would have been terrible, you know, you know, as a prop. But yeah, um, but, but you but, know, yeah, again, go oh, go ahead. No, no, no go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was no. gonna say to me again, just yeah, I I came back to the idea that there's not a black there's not a black coach who who can get away with that, and 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 now you know to be true, there's only like three, right? <laughs> But none of them, you, you wouldn't see Mike Tomlin being able to do that. Not at all. Um, and then again, we hit this up, but just having like Larry Elder out there for a very specific reason, um, to me, it's just like, man, um, it speaks volumes to to how you see the black people you've been around with. You've been around your really your adult life, right? The same yeah. people that made you who you were. Right. Because you're not doing that without these athletes, right? Without Percy Harvin's other worlds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You are not you without, you know, Omar Jacobs. Tell me, he he had Omar Jacobs right at Bowling Green. Is that? Yeah. He had Chris Lee. Yeah. 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 He had Chris Lee. You know, but, but, you know, and, and by the way, a light, light note, I, I, I once won uh, some Madden franchise. Super Bowls with Omar Jacobs as my quarterback. So shout out to you. <laughs> That's how good I used to be, ladies and gentlemen. That's how good I used to be. I would take the 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 lowest of the low black quarterback as a rookie and just mold them into into something sensational. So uh, Is that, that that's your that's your clay to fame on Madden. That's my franchise yeah, mode. That's what I still do, right? Um, you know, I have the the new Madden I barely play, but I'm definitely when I franchise most it's either gonna it might be Jalen, you know, um it, it might be Justin, you know what I mean? So so we'll see. Definitely you got a lot of choices at young quarterbacks. When you do use an Omar Jacobs, the pickings were slim. That's what that sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the pickings were <laughs> slim. You know, one year I had to roll with Dennis Dixon, you know what I mean? Oh like, okay. no, when he was in Pittsburgh, yeah. huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. He had, you know, I I would trade, you know, if I had a good quarterback. I know, sorry, listeners, if I had a good quarterback, you know, I'd trade away for draft picks and then that, you know, an Omar Jacobs or a Dennis Dixon or something like that and just build from there, you know. So <laughs> any NFL teams you want me to build your franchise, let me know. I'm I'm, I'm very innovative in, in, when it comes to rebuilding. So Speaking of rebuilding. Uh, Let's do this because the Raiders say, are going to rebuild. <laughs> no, well, the Raiders are rebuild, but real quick, uh, what's the over-under that Jacksonville offers Byron Leftwich's job at the end of the season? Oh, that's, that's high. Yeah, that's a good one. I never thought about it. Yeah, he's coming back. He's coming home. I, I actually yeah. hope I hope he has enough opportunities to tell them no. That's like true I, too. Well, it's an attractive no. job because you have Trevor Lawrence, but it's not a attractive good. job because you don't have anything else. Um, and it's just like you know, it's it's going to be hard to build. But he's a quarterback guy, and he's got Trevor Lawrence, right? Um, uh, yeah, I don't like that. So. Yeah, I mean, what else are his options though? Like, 
I don't know. He, he, the Raiders is open, so let's. The Raiders, that's that's true. <laughs> the Raiders is open, and so that brings us to our next point. Go ahead. So before, while we were getting our, uh, uh, you know, trying to get our podcast lives together to to talk about Urban news breaks about John Gruden uh, writing uh, racist emails about Demar Smith initially talking about him having. Uh, this is such a. a, a I don't know if classic is the wrong, such an old racial stereotype. It was like he went into the deep cuts of racial stereotypes. Right. right. Like he right. had he called them Michelin lips. And I was like, wow, that is an impressively deep uh racism. Right. And like that that is that is something to be said uh in and of itself. Um it's, can I can I yeah. Jack, real quick? It's the way you put it is perfect, right? Because it is, it's very specific and it's made up to him. Right. Um, Cause it's not like just calling them big lips. It's mission lips. And I honestly, I looked it up. I went to newspaper.com and I put in like Negro and tire lips and rubber lips. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is something that, that was just a normal thing. And it's just not what people say. Like you could see caricatures of, of big lips, right? You might see the big lip stuff. But the idea that he went tire lips, mission lips, and I was like, man, what, what is this? Like, is, is this like, because I'm thinking like he tried to say rubber lips is lying. And I'm like, well, maybe it's the stereotype that, you know, black folks are lying, right? Mm-hmm. On the one yeah. hand, and that's how it, that's how it kind of developed. Yeah. Now, rubber and tires are, are not really, you know what I mean? It's not like you there's a lot of rubber tires around for the longest time that would, you know, what 120, 130 plus years. Right. But yeah, maybe the stereotype of this, this, right. The slave lying, but it wouldn't have been rubber lips at that time. So, so something would have happened, but still, like you said, the very, how he's very specific, very detailed in this, but very clear of what he wanted to say about this black guy. Like he wanted to just get this thing off. It had nothing to do with, d smith being a liar it had everything to do with him being black and he went for the the really the nastiest outside the n-word right like what yeah, else yeah. what else do you want him to say and and i know we've kind of cut off on this rant a little bit but that's what got me no it it, it, clear racism and and it was it was on a friday and and then so everybody's trying we're trying to figure out what's going to happen on this friday uh and then on you know he keeps his job through sunday they get beat by the bears uh he comes up and gives this apology and it was such a it was such a half-ass apology i'm just gonna say that right like it was clear he was like i don't have a racist bone in my body i that's not who i am uh that's not who i am but then that's what you wrote in this email in a particular category right um and then two, he's like, well, I don't want to talk about it no more. And I'm like, why do you think you get to end the conversation? Cause you want to, right? Like, that's like, he's like, he gets to close the door on this, this thing. Um, and then lo and behold, uh, in the, I want to say the 12 hours after the <laughs> 12 or so hours after he gave that press conference after the loss, uh, news came out about more emails. Lou texted me. He's like, there are more groomed emails, uh, <laughs> before the Sunday night football game, I feel like, or after the, during the Sunday night football game. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like they sound something else. And then it was just a whole litany of homophobic and misogynistic. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a a grab bag of just terrible behavior. And that he was so comfortable putting in print on the work email. Right. And I think it was Monday night football game. So he had a whole day, but, but to me, oh, yeah, it was like Monday Friday night. when this came out, and I was like, I don't know how he's still going to have a job, right? Because what I saw was there's no way, right? There's no way that his players would let that slide at a team that's got to be 80% black. Right. Because what I was thinking, I saw what happened last summer, right? I've seen what happened a lot the previous years. I've seen players kneeling i've seen players make this black lives matter video i see roger Dell ready to cry right this kind of summer of george floyd i said these players they're gonna say something and i was wrong right mm-hmm. most of them 
stuck up for him publicly and some of them still are like someone like Darren Waller today seems pretty upset to, you know and and he he talked about that but he know, was upset he was upset at, at Gruden or upset that Gruden right he said like, he's still dealing with it he's still like wrestling with it and by the way this is we're still on the racist emails from from Friday right we're, we haven't even got to the misogynistic stuff the homophobic stuff and that's that's another conversation that we'll get to but in this moment I thought the players would actually say you know what I can't work like this, right? That's how you feel. But what happened is, and I and I tweeted this out. I said, I wonder what blackface they're going to put in front of this, right? Because mm-hmm. this is what we do. There's a couple of things. And I explained this to my students because they asked. I said, look, he didn't get fired because there's in America, we we think we're, we're so invested in American exceptionalism. We don't really want to miss that racism exists unless it smacks us in the face and it's the N-word, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the only thing that would have done it right in that moment. Cause mm-hmm. when he called a Roger Goodell, uh, the homophobic slur, right. The, the worst of the worst, that was it. There's no, oh, maybe it is this locker room. Talk. No, this is, this is it. Right. And mm-hmm. you're gone. But because we didn't see it, right. Because we don't want to admit that racism still exists as you know, and I'm, I'm not saying everybody, but because there's a, a good number of folks who don't want to have these conversations, as as Hassan said, this kind of hard history conversations. When we see stuff like, oh, big lips, I'm like, yeah, maybe. Or that was mm-hmm. so long ago. Or what if we went your email instead of really? And that's what, can I say pisses? That's what irks yeah. me to still is that, oh, go through people's email. Oh, it was so long ago. Instead of dealing with how hurtful something like that is and how these stereotypes over years, over hundreds of years have had a great impact, right. On how we see stereotypes of lack of intelligence, right. Stereotypes about like how these bodies are shaped, like how we're somehow different Mm -hmm. has had a, a tremendous impact on American society. Right. Right. On people being able to progress in football outside of football and to not deal with that and to not nip that in the bud right and to mm-hmm. get some like a tony dungeon and mike Tarico out in front of that supporting you to me yeah. that was the worst part of it right not people not understanding how bad these stereotypes have been in the past and the impacts they continue to have and for someone that old at that age to say that you know, that's who you are and that's, yeah, if that's what yeah. you come up with at the age of 40 or however old he is. That's who you've always been, even though you've been around black players, even though you've been on Monday Night Football and you were the face of ESPN and you talked yeah. to black players. That's how you've been and you hit it. And because you're, 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 you're white skin, you're privileged and you're, you know, whatever Chucky looks, we held you up on a pedestal. Right. Yeah. And nobody uh, investigated you and nobody called you out. And and your friends are 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 implicated in this because they're, they're just as bad. Because I know for sure you said you he felt comfortable not only saying that, writing that to Bruce Allen, but a number of people. And I and I hope that they are they I hope they feel bad, <laughs> right? And I hope they're scrubbing their emails. No, I'm sure I, that, I, that's who they are. No, I think there's three things here, right? One, uh I wanna uh, to, to to note for for listeners, Alec Kirshner, Alex Kirshner, who's who's a friend of the pod, who is a, a Maryland alum who writes for Slate Magazine, has a, a great co- college football uh, podcast called Split Zone Duo, had an article uh, in Slate talking about John Gruden is the NFL, talking about how he had worked in every level of the NFL and he had become one of the key personalities of the modern NFL since he's been a head coach, since he's been in ESPN, he's. He's become a, a, a spokesperson for the leagues. And so this is not just an individual John Gruden problem. This is emblematic of the larger issue about ownership and leadership inside of uh, the NFL. And so I think the NFL is really we, the, the attention is focused on John Gruden. But I think he is also a, a gateway into larger, I think, more important uh, structural issues uh, as well. I think, too, the other piece that gets in, gets lost is, is that we as a nation have a hard time. You talked about that we only understand racism when it hits us in the face. But we also um, we have a hard time because uh, most people don't really think about 
don't do history when they definitely don't do the history of the black experience is that the, that that's often contradictory in some ways, right? Like, uh, and, and so they see John Gruden, John Gruden having a job where he's working with and in charge of uh, black players as a sign that he can't also be racist. Right. And right. I'm like, that means you haven't, re- you, that means you don't know history. That's what I tell right. people all the time. It's like, we act as if like Thomas Jefferson couldn't be racist and at the same time write the Declaration of Independence and at the same time have Sally Hemmings in a in a cubicle above his bedroom, right? Like right, this, right. like all those things can happen at the same time, right? And so we have to kind of work through this. And so we we treat racism in America, uh, and especially now, especially given this whole. Uh, vitriol around critical race theory as that the only people who are ever racist is the Klan. And so right. real people and real kind of contradictions don't exist. And I think John Gruden it exemplifies that where black players feel a certain kind of way because they play for him, but they don't know, they're not privy to these emails, right? Like, um, And I think that that's an important kind of thing. I think I want to, the last piece I want to say before we, before we continue is you, you brought up this excellent point about, you know, you were waiting on these black players to say, uh, we're not going out until y'all fix that. Right. And then, and my thinking on that is who is the, the, the veteran, veteran leadership on that team? Like, I think if you think about Waller, who was a guy who had been cut, who had substance abuse problems. Yeah. Come right. Back yeah. And Waller probably can't do that because of the substance right. abuse. Right. Yeah. And then you got, I saw Josh Jacobs give an interview um and he uh but he's a young player in his second year i think second or third year uh they had yannick and gakwe who who's the defensive end who's the team captain but he played for baltimore last year right so they've got a lot of new new faces and they don't a lot of turnover right but there's no you notice who's not there right like Khalil Mack ain't there, right? Who was the right. who was the stud player who 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 got who apparently did clash with John Gruden? And they shipped him out, right? And I think right. that's an interesting kind of part of of this thing. And so for for us for what we saw last summer, there was also a moment, but we also had critical leadership, right? right. When Giannis is like, we ain't we we ain't going out. That's it. Yeah, yeah, right. Like that's that's it, right? Like. Who has that kind of power in that locker room uh, that's African American? And we and, and like, look, Carr, the quarterback, wasn't going to do it, right? It, you know that. Like, I don't think there's enough. There was enough kind of that that kind of leadership in the room. This is not to defend their action, but like, if we look at the structural circumstances, who are we looking at to make that decision? That's true, and I think too, football is a little bit different than basketball in the sense that these guys know they got two, three years, right? And 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 I think the idea of it's not to say this idea of team is not big in basketball, but team and family is real big in football, and 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 I think too the idea of up from the bottom, right? That this is all I got, and this care, and and I think football players throughout their life especially once they get out of high school are around white guys who, who are very paternalistic to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that shapes how they see John, someone like John Gruden. Right. Cause, cause you think about that after, after high school, you know, it's, it's pretty much white guy in your life, you know, who, who becomes this father figure, quote unquote, very paternalistic. I'll protect you. I'll do all this stuff. I'll get you to the league. And then you get to the NFL. That's another white guy, right? Like, right, right, right. And I think that, and it's not, this is, by the way, it's not me being anti like white or anything like that. But I, th- I think that just shapes how they feel about this. Right. And I can see that player hugging him. Right. And, and like Sammy Davis and, and Richard Nixon, right. That picture. Um, I, I, because that's all they know. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is, they think this is what they're supposed to do. And again, because it wasn't for them, they knew the big lips, what it meant. Right. But I think because it wasn't that, and there wasn't a movement, right. I think the other thing is, and this is no knock on these athletes. We've seen these athletes participate in these movements because there've been movements when they have to lead on stuff, when there's not a movement behind them, like, like the, the VAC stuff, 
it's not that deep, right? It's just yeah. like, man, what? Yeah. Like, but when you could be part of a BLM or, you know, later on, you know, back in the day, a civil rights movement or something like that, you know, you're just part of it. I'm using my platform to raise awareness and it gives you cover. You're comfortable. But on something like this, when you would have been the lone folks out there, it would have just been you and your guys. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Raiders were comfortable at that moment, right? And they're so focused on the game. They're so focused on the season. But I think that moment needed an intervention. And they could have right then and there. No, I think you're right. They, on Friday they, night, and it would have been solved. And now look at their – now they're answering more and more questions, and it's just getting – you know, I think it's going to be worse. I don't think – I don't see how they concentrate on Sunday. So I think there's two things here. I think one, I think you're absolutely right. Like the uh, the emphasize that, that we always talk about athletes as the face of movements, but in reality, they are spoke like they are representative of this moment. But in reality, they just become spokesmen for the moment. And so in absence of the moment, they they are not you know, they're spending their time working on their playbooks, trying to defeat the team that's coming out and working on their craft and things of that nature. And so the movement is really sweeping them up. And that's what we saw last summer, uh, summer 2020. Um, I think the other piece is interesting to think about here too, right? You talk about how, like, why they couldn't get it done between Friday and Sunday. I think it also means because they play in Vegas. Right. Because if you play in Oakland, at least old Oakland, right? Like there's yeah. an activist community in Oakland that shows up at the stadium Saturday. Right. Like, yeah. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like in Vegas, yeah, nobody shows kind of You're not getting yeah. that kind of like Vegas is not the kind of space where people are going to 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 go into the stadium to say, look, this is this is clearly wrong, right? And so I think right. that you know, I'm always looking at these kind of you know, what are what were the opportunity? What was the matrix of opportunity for these athletes to make this decision? Um, uh, like you said, you would like to see them to, to really put their to 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 stand on this issue and be like, no more. Um, but it's completely understandable why they played and they played poorly on Sunday uh, right. <laughs> and, and, and whatnot. And, that, and then on Monday, we get more emails. <laughs> We get more during emails. the game during Lamar Jackson's game, and 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 in many ways they got kind of lucky because everyone was paying attention to Lamar's awesome performance. Shout out to me for drafting him, but <laughs> but right, and then it's like, and it's it's worse. I don't know. I don't. Worse is a bad word. It's just as bad, right? It just it's just it, it's just so much. It's just so much. Yeah, it shows what we know, right? And he was this, he's just this old white privileged guy who he's Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, right? And, yeah. And, and for the last, what, 20 years, we've dressed him up as this this genius leader and come to find out he's the racist on the porch, right? Who, yeah. Who, and, and who's really his, my guess is his racism, his misogyny, his homophobia was hidden by the fact that one, he knew he was in public, and two, you know, he's around these guys. And football's a sport where it's black and white together, winning, and and this is the narrative that we tell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that helped him like hide who he was. But yeah, you know, well, I, and and I want to I want to make sure the listeners understand that this the reason these email and these emails came out, and there were six hundred and fifty thousand emails. In this case, right. because there's we've an probably invest- seen a few of them, right? Like five. Yeah. We see like six of them or something crazy. Right. Um, uh, but this is an investigation into the Washington football team for a toxic workplace culture that John Gruden and Bruce Allen and others are uh, sending, not only saying all this kind of homophobic, misogynistic language about the commissioner, about Michael Sam, about uh, uh, Eric Reed, right? That he deserved to be fired, right? All that stuff's coming out, but they're also passing around topless pictures of, of, right. of Washington football team cheerleaders. And I think that we're talking about that this is just um, uh, a, a complete morass of, of, of unethical and discriminatory behavior that looks bad, uh, not only on John Gruden, who's, the, I think, just the first sacrifice, but also on Bruce Allen, who's not checking him in any of these emails and willingly right. participating and two and three in the Washington football uh, team. And I think that one of the things that's interesting that we saw, at least in Jerry Jones's comment, he gave this word salad of an answer that didn't say anything. Cause I think what that tells me is that 
that this this behavior is extremely common in many of these franchises and that that is not unusual uh, uh <laughs> you know it may not be to that degree but the the kind of um that this kind of discussion and conversation uh, is pretty norm in the NFL. You know who knew that? Colin Kaepernick. Oh, absolutely. The NFL knew that too. And they, I don't know how, what did he get, like 20? Uh, It was unreported. Unreported. I suspect he got a lot. He he, he got a lot because had that stuff come out two years ago, you'd probably don't have an NFL, right? Like it's, I mean, it was like multiplied by like they had 650 thousand emails from, right. from one franchise you multiply yeah. that by 30 like right two teams it, or whatever it is right like it, it's right it, and, it, it's, and, it's the, and and they were talking about that gruden was talking it had absolutely nothing well you know the dan snyder and them came out i think they held arms in what 2017 uh right i remember that because i i wrote that this is i wrote a nice piece for vox uh <laughs> i believe it came out right when we we're at asala right that um Man, that was a rough asala for me. Like I, I had no money, and that I had gotten an E class, you know, one of them cheapest economy tickets you can. And they were about to charge me for bags, like each stop, and it's like it would be a hundred something extra bucks. I was like, man, I just rolled up some clothes and put them in my backpack, and I luckily Derek let me share his room, right? But um, <laughs> one night, then I think I had to get my room next night anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and they, you know, Gruden's talking about this. He's anti Eric Creed. He's anti kneeling. He's, you know, he's anti come to find out he's anti Joe Biden. He's like all these things. And I think what people don't, I think we realize it, but people don't want to say it is that this is the problem. These guys who have the power, right. Publicly could come out and look like they are progressive thinking. Without, because they don't have to say anything about politics, right? They're just around black players, and and they haven't done anything overtly racist that you know of, and so because they're white, because they're leaders, they're they're progress. You know, they're smart, right? They're mm-hmm. they're these type of thinkers, and they they deserve everything they get. But come to find out, when you're not around, <laughs> right? Private email. They're saying these nasty stuff. The people who have the power to hire and fire, right? To create mm-hmm. your career, shape your career. To me, too, what I thought about was I, I think I brought this up before, and this is not a knock on Sean McVay, but I remember and sports. I think I brought this up a Sports Illustrated article on about McVay and those old Washington uh, football team coaching staff that had McVay. Who else was on it? The dude from the Bengals, um, uh, everybody, Shan- everybody Shanahan. got a job out of that, right? Right, yeah. Like um, the dude from uh, the dude, <laughs> the guy, the coach from Green Bay, like all these yeah, guys, Shanahan, yeah. right? Yeah, they all got a job, and it, and what it talked about was how they sit at the table and they would make these plays, and they, they you know, the young in their thirties, and nobody was black there. Right. Yeah. There's no opportunity. And I said, wait a minute here. You might have had some black older black men doing like the receiver coach or quality coach. You know how they are. Yeah. The, the, yeah. You, know, you know, Terry Rubisky's no knock on him. Shout out for him for integrated LSU, you know, 50 years ago. But still, that's what struck me about that. Right. We're creating this narrative of the genius coach. Mm-hmm. And now this franchise that's in the sh- in the in the light for for you know these emails and and what they were doing to these cheerleaders and, and this kind of toxic culture, it speaks a lot to me, you know, the, the franchise. And I think what allowed them to get away with everything they were doing for so long, the front man was Doug Williams. And this is not anti-Doug, but they could always hide because they, you know, they had Doug Williams in the front office, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, everyone loves Doug, um, yeah. you know, but it's like, to me, it's like, man, this is, this is, this is why now, right? This is why, you know, they created this young good old boys club in, in Washington and it was Shanahan. It was, you know, it was like nepotism and it was like these young geniuses all there and not a black person was invited to that table. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and now I understand why, because in private, when these guys had the opportunity to speak about anything, 
right it's it's some nasty stuff and and i think the you know washington football franchise they're lucky that those emails on their side aren't being put out right Mm -hmm. um because my guess it is you know it's going to lead to you know dan snyder is going to probably have to sell his team in a couple weeks right but it will lead to a five billion dollar victory for dan snyder in a way yeah he's going but i don't see him right right now i don't see him getting out of this right because those emails will come you cannot continue to hide that now now that we've seen what john gruden's side was like the public will demand it and there'll be pressure and pressure they will have to release it yeah Um, and it's going to be and i think right now what the nfl is doing is getting everything lined up because there will be a washington football team for sale yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah, and uh, you know Washington fans. I know a number of them as a Maryland alum, a good a lot of good friends. You know, I have, I have friends who are uh, whose family are season ticket owners, black folks who have been utterly frustrated with the state of the franchise for the last twenty years or so uh, under Dan Snyder. And so I think that there's there's a lot of push from a team that used to have a ten year waiting list for season tickets is now you can we can walk up on game day and get a ticket if we wanted one. Uh, and, and and we're not talking about scalp tickets either. We're talking about below below market value. The uh, real deal? Yeah. StubHub, the exchange wow. markets are, 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 are extremely low for, for Washington football team tickets um, over the last couple of years. Uh, I want to say one last thing before we get off here. I think this is interesting about the John Gruden. Now that he's fired, um, it, it, it's interesting that he was actually even hired by the Raiders as, uh, as the Raiders are one of the more complicated, but more progressive franchises in NFL history, right? We're talking about, they had, you know, uh, under Al Davis, they had hired, they, you know, they had hired uh, Art Shell. They had Tom Flores as the first Mexican American head football coach. They had Jim Plunkett, who was both Mexican American and native American. Uh, they've had this long history of being really kind wait, of wait, 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 who who they draft in the first round in 1968? Oh, they had Eldridge Dickey. They tried yeah, to turn him into a tap- black quarterback. <laughs> they had the Lord's Prayer, Eldridge Dickey in 1970. What was that? 74. 68. They drafted in the 68 draft, lead number 24, and he was just an athlete. He they had they drafted him as an athlete. Yeah. They don't even know. But what they, to do they, get, they got Stabler that same draft too, right? And I think that's the problem. Or he was drafted around. And he was a year before, before I think. Ahead. But yeah, right. no, but they had this long history of, of being really, you talked about earlier in this conversation about the face of the franchise and how owners are constantly replicating these things. And that uh, at least under Al Davis, they had chosen for the face of the franchise, a much more wider array of coaches and, and right. quarterbacks uh, than any other franchise uh, up until mo- recently. And so the fact right. that, you know, the son, Mark Davis, has gone into this kind of old archetype archetype of, of coach with John Gruden bears this kind of result. Um, it, it seems that the Raiders have missed this opportunity because they they have not embraced this kind of they're all you know they've been chasing the kind of the the trends rather than thinking look you know and I know one of the reasons black coaches can be successful is because you could get a good black coach for far less than what you could get the comparable white coach right them jim mcdougall's a hundred million right that's what i'm saying like you you go you're on the hook for a hundred mil right like you know flores is was cheaper that is cheaper the dolphins are struggling but the flores is considerably cheaper than that right byron left which would have been considerably cheaper than that and and the truth of the matter is you could have got the same results right and i think that some of this is um this is just bad business practices and so this the black folks are undervalued uh in the front office for a franchise that had already been ahead of the curve uh, is, you know, I think it's somewhat disappointing. I've said this, I said this to you privately. I said that, that the Raiders, that Al Davis being, having passed away and, and really his last you know decade of his life was not nearly the same kind of um, uh, maverick leader that he was before, but the old Al Davis in his prime hires and signs Kaepernick. But for, right. right, because for one reason only, do you know how many Raider jerseys we they would have sold? Uh, two reasons: Raider jersey and to stick it to the NFL, right? Like, right, yeah. to stick it to the NFL. But but he would have. I mean, like 
they would have sold five million Raiders jerseys. First of all, the Raiders have got the you know one of the most iconic jerseys in sports history, right? right. Can you imagine the number of Kaepernick jerseys that we would? He sold those ones made by Nike that were in black and white, right? Very simple, like those sold out in a day, like uh, two hours or something. And can you imagine that the Raiders and I think Al Davis would have done that and they would have had a quality quarterback on their roster. And just given the way that they had won titles in the 1980s in particular, where they signed a whole bunch of cast offs, players who they thought were past their prime or problems, and they turned that into that kind of that ethos of that franchise. That was just a to me as a as a historian, that was like the biggest missed opportunity I think I've ever witnessed. Um and that was just like the perfect match made in heaven. And that tells us a lot about uh, what was happening. Behind, that gives us a clue about what was happening behind the scenes and the lack of kind of leadership at the ownership level. And which is why we need more diversity in our leadership pool to hope we get better, you know, different kinds of decision making. Well, you know who they signed? Richie Incognito, right? Like right. that's well, that mean, that's, that's just what Gruden like, signed, right? Yeah. That's Richie yeah. Incognito, Richie Incognito, it, right? Who... Who says the N word to a teammate? Who, what, a year prior year pulled, you know, bullied a black teammate, but then uh, what brought a gun to like a funeral home or something like? Like he was like dealing with some situations. I understand people need second health, uh, you know, second chances and mental health, but to bring in somebody like that who now all of a sudden it's clear, right? This is this is a guy you like because he is you, right? <laughs> right, like, right, right. Course, he is you, and you were just better at publicly hiding who you were. Yeah, no, that's real. Well, uh, th- I think that's a good point to end on this this, this yeah. discussion. We, we made it 50 minutes. Uh, 50 so- minutes and didn't yeah. even get to tell everybody if you lost your last two fantasy games. I'm sorry. What? I, first of all, I've only oh, lost man. one of my last. I lost one game losing streak. <laughs> two. I've lost two of three. I've got, zero, I've got zero quarterbacks. I've got zero running backs. I've got zero wide receivers. Everybody is injured. Uh, and I'm still got more wins than you, Lou. So just remember Until that. Until this week, yeah. No, yeah, but, I'll catch you. Well, I, I'll probably lose this week, uh, but I'll catch you. I'll catch I'm just you. I'm saying, as of today, I'm still on top. Listeners, listeners, as of Robert today, Woods. Who's the one who put Robert Woods in? <laughs> who's the one who stuck with James Taylor? Who's the one who picked up Emmanuel Sanders during the preseason because he saw him catch one pass? <laughs> Me. That's who. <laughs> on that note <laughs> that was a bad scarface too <laughs> all right peace <laughs> peace